This episode is brought to you in part by Richmond Graduate University. The field of mental health counseling is growing rapidly. Richmond Graduate University can equip you to become a licensed professional counselor, integrating your faith into your clinical practice. Programs are offered in Atlanta, Chattanooga, and online. Apply today at richmont.edu. You're listening to Quick to Listen. Each week, we go beyond hashtags and hot takes discuss a major cultural event. I'm Morgan Lee, an associate digital media producer here at Christianity Today, and I'm here with Mark Galley, our editor-in-chief. Hey. Great to have you here. Good to be here. Who is joining us today? Joining us today is Karen Stiller. She's senior editor with Faith Today magazine. It's the leading national magazine for Canada's estimated 4 million evangelical Christians. It connects, informs, and profiles evangelicals, equipping them with expert research and insight into Canadian culture, Christian life, and ministry. And we could almost substitute Christianity Today with that description, except for the Canadian part. So it's a very similar mission as ours. She's also a partner with Canadian Christian News Service and serves on the advisory board of the Cardis Religious Freedom Institute. Hey, Karen. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah, I would say the the magazine focus does sound similar. No. <laughs> I uh, Sometimes when I'm describing faith today to people who have not heard of it before, I have been known to say it's like the Canadian Christianity today. So well, I'll tell you what I'm going to do in return when they don't understand what Christianity today is. I'll say it's very much like faith today in Canada. Oh, that's beautiful. Thank you. Very cool. Well, Karen, we are excited that you are Joining us today, also, you said that you have been a listener of the show, which is a treat when people cross that divide. And was still, and she was still willing to be on it. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> she was hoping it would be one of the weeks you weren't there secretly. Oh, okay. Oh, you seem like a friendly bunch. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm glad we put on a good show then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. All right. So let's get into what we're discussing today. Recently, Canada's Supreme Court ruled against what might have been the country's first and only Christian law school. Trinity Western University had been in court for years after several provincial law societies declined to accredit the school because of its student covenant, which prohibits sex outside of traditional marriage. The Canadian justices cited 7-2 against Trinity Western, calling it, quote, proportionate and reasonable to favor the rights of LGBT students over the school's religious convictions. But beyond its impact to Trinity Western, some legal experts have argued that the decision has gutted religious freedom protections in Canada. While many Americans see Canada as their friendly, similarly-minded neighbor up north, the country is less than a third the size and population as the United States. And Protestants only make up 20% of the population compared to the nearly 50% they do in the United States. Today, we'd like to talk about what this supreme court case means for Canadian evangelicals and more broadly what it's like to be a Canadian evangelical in 2018. All right, I'm really looking forward to our discussion that we're going to be having in a couple minutes. I want to remind everyone that this podcast is made possible by everyone who subscribes to Christianity Today magazine, and you can do that by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. We are in the middle right now of our July-August issue, and I know Mark had an article he thought was especially thought-provoking that's in our most recent issue. Yeah, the title of it is Holy Inefficiency in a Digital Age, and the subtitle gives it away. It's a time to forsake technological ease and rediscover cumbersome human relationships. And it reminds me of a lot of the stuff I've read uh, 
and other analysis of tech, what technology does to our human culture. I remember reading a, a book in which the author used an illustration of a, of a college student didn't want to go and actually sit down with a professor during office hours because he felt he couldn't control the conversation like he can when he does emails and texts. And that's the sort of thing subtly that technology can do to us. Uh, it can actually uh, discourage us from meeting people face-to-face for a variety of reasons. His reason was one, but there are others. And I just think I'm a, I'm a great lover of the technology with my iPhone and other things, uh, but I do appreciate the reminders to saying, actually, the human touch still is the most vital touch we have. And anyway, that's a very thought, thoughtful article in our July-August issue. Agreed. I think we've talked about some similar things like that over the show, but in an age that is so very digital, it's never bad to get some sort of additional prompting. I have a choice now of either phoning the Wheaton Police Department or filling out a form online to tell them that I'll be leaving my car out on the street at night, which is illegal unless you get permission. And I just noticed that it's, I would much rather fill out the form rather than talk to a human being. This is not a good, this is not a good thing. Wow, I would never want to fill out that form more. I don't like that time that it takes to do that stuff. Anyway, a different conversation for a different day. You should read the article, everyone that's listening to this podcast, though. And you can do that if you're a subscriber to Christianity Today magazine. And again, that is made possible by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen, orderct.com slash quick to listen. All right, Mark, I would love to hear your gut reaction to this ruling by the Canadian Supreme Court. I know neither you nor I are big Canadian Supreme Court buffs, but this is also a case that's been something that we've been watching a lot the past couple of years. So any thoughts or reactions? Yeah, I did. I was fascinated with the results, uh, uh, I mean, of the justice's decision, especially with it being seven to two. Uh, And it did make me wonder, yeah, the relationship between uh, obviously LGBT rights and their passions and their desires and the religious liberty and independence of religious institutions. We haven't had a ruling like that in the States, but I suspect we we may end up with one like that, and we'll have to negotiate that. And I think we're looking to our Canadian brothers and sisters to hear how they're negotiating that. I got to be honest, my gut check when I heard that the Supreme Court did not rule in favor was a little bit surprising to me, if only because many Christian colleges and universities have similar restrictions on sex or and have these type of like student covenants and there's a plethora of christian institutions here and so i can't even imagine that these schools not getting accreditation at this point in the united states you mean yeah and also i guess i was a little bit surprised too because this is a private school that wants to have this particular student covenant and it doesn't it at least for my american sensibilities it doesn't really strike me as that strange that the student covenant would require something if it's at a private school. So Yeah, no, I would agree with you in terms of that reaction, for sure. Uh, but I guess there's been so much weird news about uh, religious liberty, both here and abroad. I, I hear the strange, we, you know, in, in our world, we hear the strangest stories sometimes. It's hard to get, hard to get shocked a lot of times. <laughs> all right. Well, Mark has heard the news all before. That is what the takeaway here. Karen, um, let's talk about your reaction to this Supreme Court verdict. I was there. I was standing in the lobby of the Supreme Court when it was released, and I was with some Trinity Western folks. And uh, I was surprised. And I think, and they were very surprised and very disappointed. Um, There was a very quiet atmosphere in 
the court. And then I walked back to the Offices of Faith Today that is, of course, published by the Evangelical Fellowship of Canada. And the EFC was a, an intervener in the case, along with many other Christian organizations in Canada. So the evangelical community in Canada, I think, had been yeah, watching with intense interest and tension and the feeling that this decision was a really important test of religious freedom in Canada. So it felt like we failed that test and that Canada failed that test. So within two hours or so, I interviewed, um, like as a journalist, Earl Phillips, who's the uh, director of the proposed tentative law school. And he obviously was uh, super disappointed. And, you know, Trinity Western has been pretty quiet since the decision was released uh, on June 15th, they are trying to sort through what they consider, what everyone considers to be a really complex, almost 300-page decision. So, All right. So we're obviously talking right now about our reactions to a case that, as I mentioned earlier, has been building for a number of years and playing out in this larger cultural context that, for those of us who are not Canadian, we may not be super aware of. So, Karen, I'm wondering, can you tell us some of the types of rulings that the court has made in recent years that may have hinted that this might be the verdict? Yeah, well, I mean, that is such an interesting question, because I I think that, that there wasn't a hint that this would be the verdict, because the court has actually ruled in different ways in recent years. And in fact, just a few weeks before the Trinity Western decision came down, there was a decision made in another case that was viewed as a very strong victory for religious freedom in Canada. And that was a case of, uh, called the Wall case. It just in a nutshell, it involved a ruling by the, by the Supreme Court that the court did not have the right to intervene in the internal doctrinal matters of a religious organization. It had to do with a case about the Jehovah's Witness organization in Canada. That was a victory for religious freedom in Canada, and we were all celebrating that. And that was just a few weeks prior. So I think uh, this Trinity Western decision, although it is viewed as a blow, and of course it's terribly disappointing for the Christian community, for Trinity Western, it's also being viewed as a very specific decision about a very specific case to do with a law school. So the jury, if you pardon that, is still out a little bit as to what this what the implications for religious freedom actually are for Canada with this case. And, you know, it'll be interesting to see how Trinity Western um, responds in the end, because there is speculation that they might, in fact, amend their community covenant and consider whether or not they are actually, you know, would require students to sign it, because that is exactly what the decision was based on, was that requirement for students to sign the covenant that includes the understanding that they won't engage in sexual relations outside of the biblical definition of marriage between a man and a woman. The concern, of course, is if it is uh, interpreted broadly, not being familiar with the case, it's hard for me to imagine that it cannot be interpreted broadly. There are no covenants any private institution could have and insist on and actually discipline its members for. So that's not just a religious freedom issue. It's a private institution issue. If a private institution doesn't have the right to set boundaries as long as they're, I guess maybe that's the issue, as long as they're legal boundaries, they that would be about drinking or drugs or anything. Yeah. Well, this case has so much to do with access to seats in a law school and that by requiring students to sign that covenant, you are, you know, saying that, that according to the court, you are saying that a 
LGBTQ plus person would not have access to those seats in a law school and that the practice of law is uh, for the public good. And so the law, the law Society of British Columbia and Ontario, two provincial law societies, um, would not accredit the students who graduated from Trinity Western. And the Supreme Court ruled that it was reasonable to not for those law societies to not accredit the law school and still acknowledged that that ruling did, in fact, violate the religious freedom of the Trinity Western community. So on one hand, they recognized this is a problem, like this is complicated, this is damaging to the Trinity Western religious community. But the more important factor here for the court was that it was reasonable that the law societies not accredit the law school. So it is very complicated. And I don't know, I mean, that's something Canadian Christian institutions, I'm sure everyone is probably looking at if they require students to sign a covenant uh, that, yeah, adds restrictions to their lives. Is that going to be an okay thing to have in Canada in the future? But, you know, what I'm understanding, you know, as a journalist who's interviewed a few people on this and listened in on the conversation is that uh, this ruling, although it's disheartening and initial reaction, I mean, I was getting texts and emails from people like really almost panicky about religious freedom in Canada is that it really has to do specifically with the case of this law school and that we still need to just wait and see what will happen. I mean, at one level, on take, to take the other side of the issue is it's not surprising that the government steps in and does restrict religious freedom when it feels the public interest is at heart. And I could rehearse various and sundry cases in the U.S. So at that level, it's not surprising. I think the argument you just made on behalf of uh, the LGBTQ uh, plus uh, side, I think that's, I can see that being a reasonable argument to Canadian justices, while we might disagree with it. You know, there's another thing actually happening in Canada right now that is maybe even more alarming uh, in terms of religious freedom. We have these uh, government grants that are available in the summertime for, you know, small businesses, organizations, charities to hire summer students. So it's a win-win situation where you know, the government through taxpayer money, you can, a charity could apply to hire a student to run a camp or, you know, help with the soup kitchen or whatever. There's such a wide variety of things. But this year, the government uh, introduced a required attestation. So to receive the government money, the organizations had to attest that the job and the organization's core mandate respect um, reproductive rights and the right to be free from discrimination on the basis of religious or sexual orientation. So that is actually a huge controversy right now in Canada, where a church that would normally hire a student to run a Bible camp, say, or whatever it is, it doesn't even have to be a religious activity, felt they could not apply for that government funding because they would have to say that they were pro-choice, basically. So there's a lot of concern and talk and a growing uh, legal challenge to that, which actually, in my opinion, is, is even more chilling than the Trinity Western decision. Do you know where the public energy or pressure to introduce that mandate came from? Um, well, you know, it's a, it's a flavor of our current government. It's an overzealous desire to be tolerant, to embrace diversity. And what happens, and this is not a surprise to anyone, is that the probably more conservative expressions of the Christian faith struggle to find a place at that table of diversity. 
So I, I think it's it's the, the moment in our culture right now. Let's zoom out for a second. How would you say evangelicals are generally regarded by their fellow Canadians? And I actually have a statistical answer for you <laughs> because there was a survey done uh, recently by a Canadian polling company, and they found that 30% of Canadians have positive feelings about evangelicals, 43% are neutral, and 27% of Canadians have negative feelings about evangelicals. So that's the statistical answer to your question. I can tell you that uh, from you know myself and many of my friends and fellow churchgoers and Christian journalists, I would say that there's a hesitation to even use the term evangelical sometimes because there's a sense that we probably believe all the things, all the Christian doctrinal positions that define us as evangelicals, but don't like to be immediately slotted into a category of uh, somebody that, you know, people think they, that we're like Americans, to be honest. <laughs> no, offense, no, offense. no offense taken. We perfectly understand why someone wouldn't want to be mistaken for an American. Well, you know, especially currently. Um, so I think there's, you know, questions about that word evangelical. And yeah, so I, I think Canadians don't understand the church. I mean, that was my feeling of this whole Canada summer jobs grant situation that I mentioned where the government was expecting that, you know, churches and Christian organizations could just tick off on a box saying that they are pro-choice when they're not. And I, I thought, you don't understand the church. And that, that is a problem. This episode of Quick to Listen is brought to you by the Christian Standard Bible, a translation that is both faithful to the original languages and really easy to read. Today, we are talking with Rachel Myers, who is the founder and CEO of She Reads Truth. Rachel, it is great to have you here. Thanks for having me. All right, Rachel, I'm wondering if today we can talk a little bit about how Twitter played a role in the founding of She Reads Truth. Yeah, Twitter did play a huge part in our founding. It was the thing that gathered a bunch of internet strangers to read the Bible together in the same way in 2014 when Kickstarter was new and having a Kickstarter succeed to build an app, you know, in the same way technology helped us out with Instagram. I mean, we didn't spend a single marketing dollar for the first four or five years of Shiri Truth existing just because it was all word of mouth. It's pretty cool to think of social media as being a way that you can get people to open up their Bibles. Isn't that crazy? I started out, you know, thinking of the internet as sort of a bad place to be. But over time, I've just been really convinced that it's such a cool thing that the Lord uses for us. So many kingdom building activities. I love it. I think it's a great way to have community. It's not church. I think church has to be in person. But I love that we get to reach people who wouldn't otherwise be reached and encourage people who need encouragement online. You can learn more about the Christian Standard Bible at csbible.com slash ct. This episode is brought to you by Church Law and Tax. Church Law and Tax understands the realities of church work, helping thousands of churches stay informed and get equipped with comprehensive resources on legal, tax, financial, and risk management matters. Do you have a question on housing allowance? Need information on selecting church insurance? Looking for insights on what is or isn't unrelated business income? 
Or how about some guidance on how to properly receive charitable contributions? ChurchLawAndTax.com equips you for success with access to the most respected and knowledgeable attorneys, accountants, financial advisors, and risk managers guiding churches today. Get the practical information and timely coverage you need to keep your church up to date and lead your ministry with confidence. Join ChurchLawAndTax.com today. At least in America, a lot of the frustration today towards evangelicals at large can be traced back to frustration from different religious right figures. From what everything I understand, there's no equivalent to the religious right in Canada. So is it really all this baggage that is there for evangelicals really just a, a product of frustrations with American politics that are kind of transferred into Canada? Yeah, and I could just narrow that down to say, it's mainly due to the fact that the, the, the major media sources, when they want to quote an evangelical, end up quoting one of really three or four people in the United States who tend to be very conservative evangelicals, very conservative politically, and they are taken to represent all of, certainly, and they all happen to be white, so they tend to represent all of white evangelicals. I think that's one of the larger reasons for the discomfort many American evangelicals have with their term that describes them otherwise. Yeah. Is there that type of figure in Canada? Not really. There are a couple of um, people who speak sometimes to the media that maybe the rest of the evangelical community might cringe a little bit. But no, we do not have that kind of, you know, far right of center, outspoken, loud evangelical voices in Canada. We just don't. But those voices seem to impact Canadians' view of evangelicals, you're saying. Those people in the United States. Absolutely. Like, I think you know, Canada and the United States are very different countries. We're very different cultures. Evangelicals in both countries um, share a subculture of belief that is, I think, very common. And we do have lots of things in common. But like, yeah, our media would understand evangelical to mean American evangelical, I think. Very interesting. So one thing that I mentioned a couple minutes ago was just the fact that in America, we have many, many, many Christian colleges and universities. And that's just, of course, one of the forms of institutional presence that exists for American evangelicals. What is the institutional presence that evangelicals have in Canada? We do have Christian schools, Trinity Western University being a big one. We have Christian universities. The Evangelical Fellowship of Canada is you know, the sister organization to your National Association of Evangelicals. But in terms of, you know, evangelical politicians, for example, we, we would never even use that term. Um, <laughs> like they, politicians in Canada or evangelicals are representative in all the parties, uh, all the political parties in Canada. Uh, they don't align with a particular party typically. So they're just, it is just so markedly different. Um, but, you know, there are politicians who are evangelical, but they would, their inclination would be to keep that quiet, uh, as opposed to making it part of their election campaign, because it would be death to them, to their campaign. It would be so hard for them to overcome the negative perception that would be out there. Um, you know, when Stephen Harper was our prime minister, the previous prime minister, the, you know, he was always often being set up as a scary, a scary Christian person. And he, 
you know, had to work hard to counteract that and probably didn't completely do that. In the South and parts of the country that we call the Bible Belt, you know, it has this reputation for being more of a hotbed of conservative Christianity. Is there the same type of geographic concentration of evangelicals or of conservative Christians in Canada? You could say, I mean, I could make some generalizations. I could say that uh, there would be more uh, evangelical Christians in rural Alberta than urban Quebec. You know, I could, there are some obvious differences, but there, I would argue that there is not a comparable Bible Belt in Canada. It, it's just um, such a different, we're, we're, um, we're a smaller population in a bigger country, as you already pointed out, we're more spread out. There are roughly 4 million evangelicals in Canada. You already said that. That's basically 1 in 10 Canadians versus 1 in 3, I think, in the U.S. So uh, you just don't see that concentration of people. Do you happen to have stats on how uh, Canadian evangelicals vote liberal or conservative? Off the top of your head? I know, but I can, I've read those stats and I can t- tell you that um, typically evangelicals vote across the board. There was a, a bump a couple of years ago, the, the current liberal government, it felt they had lost the ev- evangelical vote. They required liberal politicians um, to be pro choice and vote that way. And what this statistics showed is that the evangelical vote just sort of diffused both left and right. In fact, uh, the New Democratic Party is left. The Conservative Party is right. Uh, we also have the Green Party, which I don't know enough about. But so although uh, Canadian evangelicals are typically more socially conservative, they do tend to vote across the board. That whole politics and faith question, again, um, you know, we have so much in common, but that that point is so, uh, so different between the two countries where um, Canadian evangelicals uh, are just not aligned to any one particular political party. And I think, you know, uh, the concerns like we do, do not have an abortion law in Canada. And any politician who brings that up seems to just, you know, destroy their career (laughs) instantly. So I think, and that is not to say that the uh, Christian, you know, people in Canada don't think there should be restrictions on abortion. There is a very strong pro-life movement and so on. And that is definitely alive and well. But I think, I think there's also a a sense of, of, um, that this will be a really hard issue to change. And People don't vote. Some evangelicals, many, do not vote on that issue. Whereas, I, you know, correct me if I'm wrong. Help me understand, you guys, because I, I, I have the perception that it may be wrong that people do vote on sort of one issue sometimes down there. Yeah, I mean that's the perception you get. Although when I've seen polls, I'm surprised at how little abortion actually makes a difference to evangelical voters in this last election. The assumption was that abortion uh, and religious freedom were the big two causes. And as I recall reading a, forget if it was a Pew or another report, it reported that uh, joblessness was the biggest concern. Interesting. So, you know, it's hard to know. One, one poll, one, one, re, one piece of research is not, not the be all and end all. But when you do talk to evangelicals about their support of Trump, those who supported Trump or continue to support him, the first thing they will say is, yes, but we got a, a Supreme Court justice who will protect religious liberty and possibly reverse Roe v. Wade. So right. you do have that. 
Right. And I do think that religious freedom will increasingly be an issue for Canadian Christians when they vote. I mean, I, I find it hard to believe that it wouldn't be. And this, again, the Canada summer jobs situation I was describing earlier, where you had to uh, agree to this, you know, charter values is the term used now here. That is alarming to a lot of people and not just religious people. There were, um, you know, civil liberties organizations speaking out against it. The media were, who typically would not align with the Christian voice in Canada, were speaking out against it as an issue of freedom. So I think that we are going to see uh, Canadian Christians, you know, maybe voting a bit more strategically on the issue of religious freedom in the future. We've definitely strongly hinted that there are plenty of ways that American evangelicals are influencing Canada, and I'm sure there are ways that they are not even aware that they are doing so. How would you say that American evangelicalism positively influences the Canadian church? You know, I look at Christianity Today magazine, for example, and, you know, such great uh, material, such great teaching, such great resources and information. I think that's huge. Your authors, um, you know, the whole Christian publishing industry uh, is rooted in the States. And, you know, we read those books, obviously, and listen to those podcasts. And there's just such great rich uh, theology and scholarship. I think that's all very positive. I think our, you know, our church scene is probably uh, different, but, you know, your music, (laughs) Christian music from the United States is huge here, of course. I think that um, as much as, you know, because we're uh, like polite Canadians who can also be quite smug, actually, about our differences, (laughs) um, I think that uh, you know, we sometimes when we've traveled through the states, you know, my husband and I will say, "Well, like I admire the courage to speak boldly and plainly, and uh, to not tone down beliefs." And as much as it can come off, maybe sometimes um, too, you know, abruptly for our tastes or whatever, there's a courage and a spirit of entrepreneurial, you know, creativity that I find really inspiring. Um, when I, uh, as a freelance writer, I often talk to American seminaries and I'm always amazed at how innovative they are and how willing to take risks and try new things. And, you know, that's a great, I think, American spirit that, that we all really admire. Well, that's very kind of you, but I'm going to have to beg to, beg to disagree about one point. I'm not sure the importation of contemporary Christian music is a good thing. <laughs> Being a fan of the old hymns, an old fuddy-duddy fan of the old hymns, I will have to say, <laughs> you could show better judgment, but I will get lots of letters about that, I'm sure. That's funny. Well, I will confess um, that sometimes when we're driving through the States, I'm going to listen to Christian radio for a while, and then I have to uh, turn it off. So. <laughs> Americans have increasingly been importing Australian and British music. So. Exactly, right. Uh-huh. There you go. There you go. We'll send some up here. It's global. It's global now. (laughs) Absolutely. So, okay. So we talked about the positives. Thank you for the CT shout out, among other things. What are the ways that American evangelicals, you know, end up harming or hurting the witness of Canadian evangelicals or just making things more complicated for them without knowing it? I have a two word answer and it is Donald Trump. I mean, that that is the biggest thing right now when people hear the word evangelical rightly or wrongly i you know they uh, have bought um the idea that 
it was evangelicals who brought Donald Trump into office and Canadians are, uh, you know, not every, I mean, I'm making a massive generalization here, but, you know, uncomfortable with many parts of that and sort of brush us all with the same, uh, the same brush. So I think, I think that's an issue, just trying to differentiate ourselves from the evangelical movement in the States, whether it's fair or not. Yeah, no, it's a reality. I, I acknowledge that. It's, a, it's an unfortunate reality, not only in Canada, but across the world. I think it's made, it's made it harder for uh, Christians of evangelical persuasion to, uh, to be a positive witness in their communities. I wonder sometimes if, um, you know, evangelicals have not done a great job of telling their own stories. And maybe part of it is um, a, a very good humility. But again, with this Canada Summer Jobs situation, I think a lot of churches were coming forward to say, oh, no, well, now we can't do this because we're not going to have the funding from the government and to do this thing or whatever. And um, just all the good that uh, religion does in towns and cities and communities. You know, maybe we need to start telling those stories in a better way. And that's, you know, what Faith Today tries to do and Christianity Today, I'm sure, um, so that people understand the, you know, the public good of religion. I should add, by way of context, though, that this issue of the American president and whether uh, or not he identifies with, and it's been a he lately, uh, with evangelicalism does present a problem for uh, Christians across the world. I remember talking to some Muslims in uh, the Middle East, and uh, they were convinced they didn't have a high high view of uh, America, nor, nor George Bush, nor evangelicals, because they felt because George Bush was an evangelical, it was his interest to try to convert the Middle East to Christianity. And when I tried to explain to them that the president of the United States might have a personal faith, but he has no right, and usually, uh, certainly in the case of Bush, he had no interest in evangelizing uh, the Middle East. They, didn't, they simply didn't believe me. So the presidency of, of Bush, in and of itself, and his identification with the evangelicals, and even, even though it didn't come with the, the moral complexities of the Trump administration, was, was all, also made it difficult for Christians there to do their work. So it's not a one-president issue. It's a, it's a larger issue, about which we have no control, really. So I do think your idea of, 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 of telling stories— uh, instead of just telling evangelical opinions about this thing or that, telling stories about what, in fact, evangelical Christians do in the U.S. and Canada and Nigeria and Egypt, it's actually terribly impressive. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I really, I think that's what we need to do next, focus on next, doing that. I like to tell the anecdote, and forgive the, the listeners if I've told it before, it's a made-up anecdote, but I think it has a measure of truth in it. If you go to a garbage dump in uh, Egypt, where in Cairo, where people are living, and you're, you're walking through it, and you find a, a Christian mission there of some sort. It will either have been founded by Catholic nuns or evangelical Pentecostals. Yeah. They are the type of people that do that type of heroic work everywhere in the world. It's really quite, quite stunning. I've done some traveling with my writing and um, to South Sudan, to refugee camps in Uganda recently, and I am always deeply touched by the Christians who are there, very quietly, the evangelicals, you know, giving their lives to these uh, really desperate situations and bringing hope. And, you know, when something terrible happens in the world, um, not to minimize any of the pain or tragedy, but I have routinely said to my kids, like, 
there are Christians there right now. I guarantee it. There are Christians there right now giving hope. And You know, here in the States, as I'm sure you're aware of, a lot of the story of America can get wrapped up in Christian language and even have a strong Christian imprint on it when people are recounting what happened. Is there a part of the Canadian origin story that has that faith element? No. <laughs> There's not. And I, I think, you know, people who have studied the differences between Canadian and American evangelicals will name that as as one of the differences, that we don't have that national Christian vision or whatever you would call it. Uh, we we just don't share that. Canada has always been, you know, we, I think, correct me if I'm wrong, if you still use the term melting pot, I don't know if you still use that or not. But when I grew up going to school, we were taught that the United States was a melting pot and that Canada was a mosaic. So that when you come to Canada, you're, you know, you retain your distinctive identity. Uh, you even see that in how provinces relate to each other. Um, there's strong provincial identity as opposed to a national identity. So, yeah, I really don't think we have ever had that. How about Quebec and its Catholic heritage? Has that yeah. been important to Quebec? Oh, absolutely. And that defines Quebec now in its reaction to that Catholic history, of course, because there was what we call the Quiet Revolution in the 60s when... Uh, Quebec Canadians basically stopped going to church in a large part um, and abandoned the Catholic Church, and the Catholic Church lost much of its power and you know central identity in Quebec culture. But you know the there have always been evangelicals in Quebec, and the evangelical presence in Quebec is something we've covered as a magazine, you know, many times. And they're definitely a minority, but uh, there's some really great, vibrant, growing churches in Quebec. So I don't know how many of our listeners are aware of this, but um, over the past couple of years, there's been this Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which has tried to speak with a number of First Nations people who has endured a lot of trauma and sometimes violence and abuse in these mandatory residential schools that the Canadian government and in many cases, the Catholic Church, I'm not sure exactly about the extent that the Protestant Church was involved in. And I know that your country has been working through and wrestling with that. Um, what type of impact has the commission's work had on the church? A profound impact. Every, um, I think every denomination has had to look back into its history. I mean, especially the historic mainline ones, obviously. Um, the Anglican Church, which I am a member of, has had to look back and in many cases publicly apologize. And you know, try to make amends and uh, try to, you know, figure out how to be the church um, and how to be the church with our First Nations brothers and sisters and do that really well. And I think that's a, a huge ongoing conversation for the Canadian church. Where do you see God working most vibrantly in the Canadian church? We are trying to figure out how to serve and love our communities really well in a time when it is not easy to be the church in Canada. And when, as I spoke with people, um, leaders about the fallout of the Trinity Western decision, you know, a story that is still being told or written, the thing that I heard in common, uh, the, the sort of level of alarm uh, was different with different people with their different perspectives. But what I kept hearing was 
no matter what, we need to still be the church in Canada. We need to not retreat. We need to engage, you know, more fully, more lovingly, more deeply, and uh, and show, you know, show the love of Christ to our communities and live that out. And uh, sometimes the language is used for the Canadian church that we're like the church in exile. And well, what does what does God ask the church in exile to do? To love, to love the neighbor, to care for the widow and the orphan, and. To me, that's the exciting thing happening to the Canadian church. You know, the church is alive and well and will stay alive and well. And uh, I, I'm i more encouraged, actually, than anything, because I, I don't use the word persecution because I know there are Christians who are, you know, literally being persecuted for the faith around the world. And I don't put us in that same category at all. But I know when hard times come, the church tends to grow. And I, I think that's a good thing. I don't wish that on anyone, but um, we have a loving God whom we serve and follow, and we're not abandoned by him, and we don't abandon our communities and the places in which he has planted us. And as you noted, he works extraordinarily well when the church is facing some rigorous challenges. So yes, uh, I agree with you. I think we, we have good reason to be hopeful, no matter what any particular Supreme Court or government decides regarding a particular issue. I do think Jesus is just a little bit stronger than that. Yeah. Amen. All right. Thank you, Karen, for shedding light on all these things that these ignorant American neighbors had no idea about. Because <laughs> we only care about what happens in America. <laughs> well, see, I know that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> we try not to be the ignorant Americans, but sometimes you're just you know, faced with the daunting realization that everyone knows everything about your politics and... You just know what Justin Trudeau looks like. No, I'm teasing. <laughs> um, all right. If anyone has feedback, offer it to us. We're on Twitter at CT Podcasts. Send us an email at podcast at christianitytoday.com. All right. Now is the time of the show that we call Precious Moments. Everyone gets to share something that has brought them joy in the past week, starting with Mark. I had an opportunity to go to something called, it's Theology on Tap. And the reason I went was because a friend of ours was speaking at one of these. And it's basically Catholic uh, parishioners, friends, inquirers come and listen to a talk or and discuss some point of theology or Christian doctrine or Christian life. Anyway, a friend of ours was giving her, essentially her testimony, having had an abortion earlier in her life and how God took that and moved her from indifference to it, to deep regret, to an encounter with Christ. Uh, and that was like, I was just, uh, let's just, I was in tears for most of it because it was so powerful. And she's not, she's not rhetorically, she is not a person with a lot of rhetorical flourishes. It was a very quiet, calm description of what she went through and how Christ met her. It was absolutely thrilling and moving to hear her. So... I've actually thought afterwards we should get her testimony in, in the back of the magazine. It's just really powerful. Wow. Sounds like that is a really, it's, it's nice when you just get emotionally stirred. Yeah. No, it's not nice for a male. I know. I know. Okay. I still, I'm, okay, I'm 60, just almost speak 66. speak for yourself. How do you know? a generation that men don't cry, okay? In public, anyway. You've literally shared this as your precious moment. Yeah, exactly. I'm trying to be vulnerable. I'm trying to be a 2000, a tween guy, whatever the decade <laughs> is. All right. Thank you, Mark. Are you available outside of this podcast? When I'm not crying at somebody's testimony, 
You can find me on The Galley Report, which can be found at ChristianityToday.com slash The Galley Report. That's G-A-L-L-I. And I publish a weekly newsletter with uh, links and commentary. All right. Go ahead, Karen. Mine happened just last night when our daughter um, called from the Christian camp that she is serving at all summer as a you know counselor slash leader. And um, she was actually kind of overwhelmed when she called about all the uh, the sad stories, to be honest, that she was hearing and the needs of the campers. And she just needed uh, her mom and dad to encourage her and, you know, send her a hug over the phone. But she was also sharing uh, some really moving stories of campers, you know, who are teenagers, uh, this age group, who have, uh, who are really experiencing the love of God for the first time. And hearing the gospel and in some cases accepting Jesus into their hearts. And it just, uh, yeah, it warmed my heart and it made me feel really proud as a mama, but also um, just camp, how awesome camp is. It's been huge in the lives of our children and uh, two two of our three are there for the summer this year. And I know that they'll come home, you know, just re-energized in their faith. So yeah, it was a, a good moment. Where can people find you online outside of this? Uh, Our magazine is at faithtoday.ca. And I also blog um, at karenstiller.com, my own website. So, But the magazine is faithtoday.ca. And we love when people drop by. Awesome. All right. My precious moment could also be summer camp for the eight years that I went to it as a kid. A great time there. I did go camping this weekend, which in many ways, was not a precious moment. Just kidding. It was. There were just lots of mosquito bites. Um, But actually, I love going camping because you just end up spending almost your entire day outside, which to me is basically the definition of a perfect day. And we went up to Wisconsin to this park called Wyalunsing State Park, which is where the Wisconsin River and Mississippi River meet. And it's incredibly beautiful up there and went on a four-hour hike, which my friends would not call a precious moment, but I thought it was great. I love going on these hikes. So yeah, it was great to spend time with them and be in a different state. I guess I should tell everyone I'm also on Twitter. If you do want to reach me there, I'm at M-E-P-A-Y-N-L. All right, that is it for us this week. Thank you everyone for listening to another episode of Quick to Listen. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, which is where we really appreciate if you rate and review the show there. That is super helpful to us. But we are also available almost everywhere else that you would get your podcasts. This podcast is produced by myself, Cray Allred, and Richard Clark. If you want to support the show, you can do so by going to orderct.com slash quick to listen. And we will see you all next week. This episode was brought to you in part by the Lord of Spirits podcast. Many Christians yearn to break free of the influence of secular materialism and to understand the union of the seen and unseen worlds as made by God. What is the spiritual world like? Tune in wherever you get your podcasts.